Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur. The translation as follows. Lord Gaurasundar sings in a very sweet voice. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Whether you are a householder or a sannyasi, constantly chant Hari Hari. Do not forget this chanting. Whether you are in a happy condition or a distressful one, just fill your lips with Hari Nam. You are bound up in the network of Maya and are forced to toil fruitlessly. Now you have obtained full consciousness in the human form of life. So chant the names of Radha Madhava. Your life may end at any moment, and you have not served the Lord of the senses, Rishikesh. Take this advice of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Just once, relish the nectar of the holy name. Lord Gaurasundar sings in a very sweet voice. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Bhaktivinoda Thakur is Saragrahi. He's a person who is always seeking the essence. And as a great Thakur, Paramhamsa Vaishnav, he has found that essence. And his life is to share that essence. the very essence of the teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Jiva Goswami has written the Sandarbhas, Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, Baladeva Yabhushan. There is an ocean of literature explaining the profound details of the philosophy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But the essence is very simple. In whatever state of life we're in, if we just know what is the goal and how to achieve it, then all perfection is ours. We have just heard from His Holiness Dayananda Swami Maharaj the virtues of forgiveness. It is a prominent quality that Lord Chaitanya taught. After Krishna departed from this world, 
he specifically incarnated in the form of the Srimad Bhagavatam to give light in the darkness of the age of Kali. Srimad Bhagavatam is the cream of all Vedic literature. There is the history of how Vyasadeva after compiling the Rig Veda, Yajra Veda, Sama Veda, Atharva Veda, after composing the 108 principal Upanishads and then many other Upanishads, the Mahabharat, the Itihastas, the Puranas, and then to make it simple because there's such literature, so many Samhitas, he took all Vedic literatures that he had compiled he, as an avatar of Vishnu and the words and the writings of the greatest sages and saints and their conversations throughout the universe, throughout history. And he concisely took the very substance of it in the form of the Brahma Sutra. Within the book, within the Mahabharata is the 18 chapters of Bhagavad Gita. But still, while in Badrikashram on bank of Saraswati River, he was feeling some emptiness. Why? He's the most famous author that will ever live. People get happy if they write one best-selling book. <laughs> but after some, after some time, nobody cares. But Vyaste wrote such volumes of books that are eternally best-sellers. <laughs> and they're opening the doors to highest liberation, not just entertaining. But he did it all out of compassion. Whatever he was doing was, as Krishna, he was an instrument of the highest, he was, he was the f source of the highest truth. He was in this world, speaking and writing literatures only for the highest welfare of all people. And after all that he had done, there was an emptiness. Narada Muni appeared, his guru, who was born directly of Brahma, and told him, you have explained how to reach the ultimate goal, but for the sake of the people in general and all different types of people, you have emphasized artha, dharma, kama, moksha. And the essence is love of God, no doubt. But you will be satisfied when you write a scripture that takes the very essence of 
ecstatic love for the Supreme Personality of Godhead and describe the beautiful qualities of Krishna in his pastimes, the ultimate goal, exclusively, and then your mission will be fulfilled. And on the basis of that order from Narada Muni, he wrote the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the commentary of Vedanta Sutra by the author himself. And Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the personification of Srimad Bhagavatam. He simply taught the essence and conclusions of Srimad Bhagavatam and he exemplified those teachings. And it is the foundational basis of the whole parampara of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the teachings of Srimad Bhagavatam. And we find a primary theme is forgiveness. Because Srimad Bhagavatam is leading us to the love of Radha for Krishna. It is leading us into Brajlila. Well, we must understand the first nine cantos before we can truly enter into the experience of the tenth canto. And we find great personalities who are truly love, lovers of Krishna, most dear to Krishna. And their, their example in life is the practical understanding of the philosophy and teachings. So we have, I'll just name a few of the primary stories. There's the Pandavas, Yudhisthira Maharaj. After all the atrocities he went through, still, he was really, he was ready to forgive Duryodhana, Dhritarashtra, and everyone. Just give me a little piece of land. And even after the battle of Kurukshetra, when he was king, he accepted Dhritarashtra and served him lovingly, totally forgave him. And the great Mahatma Vidura, he was completely betrayed by his own brother. That's very severe. Vidura loved his brother, was always at his side through the best and worst times, always trying to help him, always giving him good advice. And Duryodhana was so angry with him. He said the worst possible blasphemous words that pierced his heart and then banished him from the kingdom. You can't take your wife, you can't take your, any of your possessions, you take your breath. That's all I'll let you leave here with. Pantritarashtra said nothing. Totally betrayed by the brother that he gave his life to assist and serve and love as a friend. When Dhritarashtra was in a helpless condition, 
Vidura came back, forgave him of everything. In one sense, for devotees like this, it's almost like they don't forgive because they don't even see anything to forgive for. Forgiving is one quality. Haridas Thakur, Nityananda Prabhu, these stories, it's not that they forgave, oh, I'm so kind, I'm forgiving you. They're so forgiving, they don't even see it as an offense. It's just their nature, just to be the well-wisher for the good of another. That's such a forgiveness. Vidura forgave Tritarashtra, came home and helped him attain liberation. In Ramayan, Bharat was really angry at Ram. I mean, at his mother, Kaikei, for banishing Ram. Ram told Kosalya, forgive, forgive her. He told Dasarat, forgive her. And when Bharat came to the kingdom, the, one of the primary instructions that Ram told Bharat is, forgive your mother, take care of her, she needs you. He completely forgave her. And in the process, Kaikeyi's, her heart was completely transformed. Ram was really ready to forgive Ravana, even after stealing Sita. Just give her back, and I'll be here to protect you forever. For Sita's sake. He had to fight the war, but he was ready to forgive in a second if Ravana just brought her back. Dhruva Maharaj. He was so ruthlessly insulted by his stepmother, Suruchi. But after he went to the forest and received devotional service from Narada and became a great devotee, he came back, completely forgave her, and, and loved her and respected her like his own mother for the rest of her life. That is Druva. And Prahlad. Little Prahlad, his father tried to murder him. He insulted him. He tried every way. He hated his son. But Prahlad was constantly forgiving him. And ultimately, when it just became so much that Narasimhadev liberated the world from Hiranyakashipu, still Prahlad. If you want to give me any benediction, forgive my father. Give him liberation. Ambarish Maharaj. He made such a tiny little offense with the intention only to serve with love, Durvas Muni. He wanted to serve him. He wanted to please him. But he wanted to do it in such a way that he didn't disturb the whole world by not doing his fast properly. He drank a drop of charanamrit. And even though he had all good intentions, Durvas Muni was so angry, he tried to murder him. He insulted him with the most terrible, harsh words and created a fire demon to destroy Ambarish. 
Vaishnavi. And Ambarish just gave his heart to Krishna. And when Krishna sent his Sudarshan Chakra, Durvas Muni went flying away to so many different places. And when finally Vishnu told him, I can't help you. Durvas Muni said, you know, we're, I'm surrendering to you. Where, where is your heart? He said, I gave my heart to Ambarish. He has my heart. When my devotee gives their heart to me, I give my heart to them. So he went back to, to Ambarish, and the whole time, that whole year while Durvas Muni was running away, Ambarish was just praying to Krishna, please forgive Durvasa. He immediately forgave him. He prayed for his, his protection. He prayed for, his, for all Krishna's blessings to be upon him. And it wasn't like he, you see, Duras, I'm better than you. You're a nonsense. I'm a true yogi. I forgive you. Because I forgive you, now you are restored. That wasn't Ambarish's mood. His kind of forgiveness was from the heart. He was thinking, please forgive me. Ambarish is saying, please forgive me. Because of me, you had to run all over the place and go to different planets, and you still haven't eaten. So I, I, I saved all the prasad for you. Here it is. Please forgive me and take prasad. That's the way he forgave. It's not with no ego. The Srimad Bhagavatam teaches a type of forgiveness because the ego is so tricky. You can become proud of being forgiving. <laughs> Just see, let the world know I have forgiven. But Srimad Bhagavatam teaches a different type of forgiveness. A forgiveness where you genuinely are the well-wisher. A forgiveness that is born of humility before God. As Dayananda Maharaj was saying, this quality of forgiveness pleases Krishna. Without it, there is a great deficiency in our devotion. That is why the Srimad Bhagavatam, almost every major story is centered around how a devotee is forgiving. Dhruva, Ambarish, Prahlad, Kunti Devi, Vidura, Yudhisthira. Chitraketu. Chitraketu was cursed for doing something he, he didn't even mean to do. And he just offered his respect to Parvati. Thank you. You curse me to be a demon and to die and become a demon? I'm very happy. <laughs> Forgive me for if I made any mistakes. Now I'm happy to do whatever you say. These are the qualities that actually are necessary 
before we could truly enter into the spirit of the tenth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. And the associates of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they personified these principles because they were teaching by example. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was so terribly criticized and insulted by Ramchandra Puri. But still, Ramchandra, Lord Chaitanya would not allow anyone to speak anything against him. He would bow down to Ramchandra Puri because he was a sannyasi, a godbrother of his guru. Ramchandra Puri said, you eat too much. What kind of sannyasi are you? So what did Lord Chaitanya do? He reduced his eating. <laughs> he could have taken his Sudarshan chakra and cut his head off. <laughs> but he just reduced his eating. He forgave him. Nityananda Prabhu, Srivas Thakur, we heard those beautiful stories. It goes on and on. And in the Dasachandrarai and Narutam Das Thakur, Srinivasacharya, all these great saints, primary features of their leelas were in their power to forgive. Nityananda Prabhu's consort, Janava Devi. There were places where people tried to murder her. They were spreading the nastiest lies against her. But she forgave them. She initiated them. She gave them Brahma Bhakti. Because you see in Krishna consciousness, we understand that the soul within everyone is a part of God. And whatever bad qualities are due to the influence of maya. It's a disease. And we're also diseased. And our only qualification is Krishna and the great Vaishnavas are willing to forgive us. Otherwise, we have no hope. So if we want to, be, if we want to please Krishna, we will be forgiven. When tolerant like a tree, for in, in the path of Srimad Bhagavatam and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, this tolerance is usually characterized by our willingness to forgive others. Srila Prabhupada writes that one's greatness has to be estimated by how one is able to tolerate provoking situations. And the context of Prabhupada saying this is when Brigamuni was doing aparads to the devas. The sages were wondering of Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, who is greatest? And he understood you can tell the greatness of a person by how they're able to forgive. So he went to Brahma, his father. 
Brahma said, oh, I'm so happy to see you. And Bhikkhu just kind of ignored him. Ignored him. It was an offense of the mind. And Brahma got really angry. So Bhikkhu left. He went to Shiva, his brother, his elder brother. Shiva said, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Come, I want to embrace you. And Bhikkhu said, don't touch me. <laughs> you smell like a crematorium and you're filthy, dirty, and you associate with bad people. I don't want to touch you. Shiva was really... He picked up his trident. Parvati said, well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> But he was angry. So Brikkhamuni left. That was in Brahma. He insulted him with his mind by not saying anything, by just ignoring him. Shiva, he insulted him with words, by nasty words. But the worst offense is physical offense. He went to Vishnu. And Vishnu was so happy to see Prakumuni. He said, oh, please, he, he, sit on my chair, I'm coming. He came to embrace him, and, and what did, and Lakshmi was sitting right there. And what did Prakumuni do? He appeared to be really angry. And he jumped and <coughs> kicked Vishnu right in the chest with his foot. Can you imagine? If you just touch a Vaishnava with your foot, you're supposed to, you know, to get his dust of his feet and ask forgiveness. He purposely, willingly, intentionally kicked Vishnu in the chest with his foot. Now this is really bad because Lakshmi's living in the chest is a little silver hair of Vishnu. He kicked her. Very, very bad. And what did Vishnu do? He said, oh, Rigu Muni, I'm sorry if I hurt you because your feet are so soft and lotus-like and my chest is so hard. Please let me massage your feet. <laughs> and he put Rigu Muni on his own throne and massaged his feet. Rigu Muni understood this is greatness. This is the supreme greatness. The taller, the the, if there's not something provoking that happens to us, there's nothing to forgive. Anyone could say, oh, yes, I am forgiving as long as everyone's nice to me and everything's going well. But the opportunity to forgive actually comes when there's provocation. And we find among the saints Prahlad, forgiving neglect, forgiving betrayal, forgiving even people who are trying to destroy you. Yudhisthira Maharaj forgave everyone. These are the qualities of devotees. And as Maharaj said, it doesn't mean we impede justice because we don't want people, if we are misused, we don't want those people to do that to other people. So in certain situations, you know, there must be certain um, acts of justice to protect the innocent. 
But in our hearts, we forgive. And Srila Prabhupada, in this reference, quoted Jesus. They blasphemed him. They put a they humiliated him in public by saying, people call you the king, and they took a, they made a crown made out of thorns and pushed it on his head, and he was bleeding profusely, and they whipped him. They made him carry a cross. They nailed through his hands and his feet and hung him in public to be crucified. And Jesus... He said, my dear Father in heaven, please forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the basis of the whole Christian faith. The whole religion of Christianity is really based on that principle of the power of forgiveness. He gave many teachings and everything, but that was his last instruction. <laughs> Haridas Thakur. We heard he was being whipped, he was being beaten, but the whole time he was just praying, Krishna, forgive them. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu during Mahaprakash, he said, I, I, had, I descended to the world with my Sudarshan Chakra to, to destroy those executioners. But you were praying so much from your heart to, for me to forgive them that my chakra had no potency. Your forgiveness was more overcame my anger at them. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. So all I could do is try to protect you by covering your body with my own. Then Lord Chaitanya showed everyone all the brutal beating marks that were meant for Haridas were on Lord Chaitanya's body. So these are very, very um, extreme stories. But still, Mahajanoyenagatasapanta, to follow in the footsteps. This is what it means. Goes much deeper than just saying, please accept my obeisances, I'm your servant. It's, it's actually this state of consciousness, humbling ourselves before what pleases Krishna. What is important is we focus on our goal. Our goal is to love Krishna. And the process is to please Krishna. And we should adjust everything in our life according to those two principles. This is Bhaktivinoda Thakur is speaking in this song. I'd like to tell one short story. Is there an Abhishek today?
What does this mean? People write me notes, but I don't know what they mean. <laughs> You know what that means? Uh, counterfeit notes. <laughs> said I just got a note that there's an Abhishek at 11 o'clock but you can go on till 11.30 no, nobody knows huh? oh that's from another festival happened to be in this songbook Wars can start with this communication. <laughs> That's why it's important we have people to clarify. That was from Nityananda's appearance day, and it was in the songbook, and it just happened to be sitting on front because I opened the songbook. So I'd like to tell one story. Bhaktivinoda Thakur is in this beautiful song speaking about how we should focus on the goal of life. And whoever we are, whatever our situation, if we, the, the process of achieving that goal is the name of God. When Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a resident of Navadweep, as Nimai Pandit. He was the crest jewel of all scholars. He was such a popular scholar. People wanted to come from all directions to study under him. And one day he told Lakshmi Devi and Sachimata that I am going to East Bengal. Today it's called Bangladesh. In those days, it was called Bangladesh. So Lord Chaitanya left with a few of his students and walked from Navadweep to East Bengal. He saw the Padmavati River. So beautiful, it's described. The, the river was crystal clear and had lotus flowers and other beautiful flowers growing in it and the banks of the rivers was wonderful forests. Lord Chaitanya or Nimai Pandit, he 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 loved to just look upon the Padmavati River. And he took his bath in Padmavati River. And according to Srila Brindabandas Tagore, 
and Kavi, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami, when Lord Chaitanya put his feet in the Padmavati River, it became as glorious and sanctified as the Ganga. Because Ganga Mata is supremely pure because it had washed the feet of Amanadev. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would perform so many leelas in Ganga. And as soon as he put his feet in the Padmavati River, it gained the same status as Mother Ganga. For the same reason, it became as pure and liberating. A river that can give love for Krishna, if touched with proper faith. He started teaching. The people of East Bengal were so grateful because most of them were not very wealthy people. But as we often tell, scholarship was the, the highest occupation that one could have in those days. And Nimai Pandit was so famous. Everyone wanted to study under him. But how many people from East Bengal could actually afford to go and leave everything and go to Navadweep to study under Nimai Pandit? A lot of them were actually saving their life earnings to somehow or other get to Navadweep to go there. And other people just dreamed of such a fortune. But Nimai understood their hearts. So he went there and was freely, for free, he was teaching everybody who came. And within days, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of students. They were so grateful. They were saying, we are so fortunate. We dreamed of going to Navadweep. Many of us have been saving for years to go there just to see you and to learn for you. And you have come here. Some of them are saying, your wisdom and your, your way of teaching is not different than that of Brihaspati. And then they would say, no, that's minimizing you. Brihaspati can't compare to you. All we can say is you must be an expansion of the Supreme Personality of Godhead to be able to teach the way you do. The lessons that even the best teacher it would take 12 years for a person to learn and get the degree. Best teachers, 12-year courses they would give. Nimai, you would get all the knowledge and more, plus the degree, in, le in less than two months. So who would you rather study from? Thus, Nima, even though they didn't know he's Krishna, his students loved him because he was so kind and so gracious. When he was in Navadweep, one of the qualities of Nima, he defeated every scholar, every pundit, every bhattacharya, every chakravati, every mishra, everyone. <laughs> even Digvijay Pandit, Keshav Kashmiri, the world champion in debate, the... Who, every word he spoke, Saraswati would incarnate on his tongue and speak it for him. 
Now who can defeat him? Nehemiah. <laughs> well, after he was defeated, Saraswati said, I'm because he's my master, he's the supreme personality of God, and I'm too shy to speak anything in his presence. <laughs> so you should go, the whole purpose of all the knowledge I give anyone is so you can surrender to him. But don't tell anyone what I said. <laughs> Lord Chaitanya, who was then Nimai, he was defeating Digvijay and all the others, but he did it in such a way he didn't hurt anyone's heart. No one felt insulted. In fact, whoever he defeated, they actually liked being defeated by him because there was no ego. All the other scholars, they were trying to defeat each other because they had ego. But Nehemiah could defeat them and really defeat them, but he would do it with such grace and such respect and such humility. Even his arrogance, his apparent arrogance was so humble that everyone was pleased to be defeated by him. So his students how much he pleased their hearts with his every lesson. His voice was like nectar. His wisdom was so profound, it mesmerized the heart. So he stayed for some months, and thousands of students came, and they all sat around him on the banks of Padmavati River, and he would give them all the lessons, and they would learn everything, and they would never forget anything he taught because it was, had such a deep impression in their hearts. And then they would go to their villages, and they would tell people, and they would, people would see a totally transformed person. So then thousands of people from those villages would come, Nimai Pandit, what kind of teacher is he? Look what he's done for this person. And there was constantly students, students. And then it was time for Nimai to leave. And so many students, the best possible things they had in their homes, they wanted to give to him as gifts. Some people were poor, they just gave him some bananas. <laughs> Others gave him some rice. Others were coming with gold and silver or silks. He wasn't asking for anything. He was a Brahmin, in the true sense. He didn't ask for any, any um, payment for anything he did. He taught as a service. And just from the spontaneous gratitude of their heart, they were all coming. And he was saying goodbye to everyone. And they were crying and offering their obeisances and expressing their gratitude. And many people just said, we're coming with you to Navadweep. We cannot give up your association. So he said, all right. So some were coming and some were going. And while all this was happening, he was just about to leave. There's a story of one Brahman. His name is Tapan Mishra. He was a great scholar. He yearned.
to understand what truly is the goal of life and how to achieve it. What is the satya and the sadhana? He read volumes and volumes of literatures, scriptures, philosophies. For years he was studying. And he was going to so many pundits, rishis, yogis, inquiring, what is the goal of life and how to achieve it? And from all the books he read and from all the teachers he met, he got so many different opinions. And none of them satisfied him or convinced him. He was a devotee in the sense he worshipped God with all his heart. He was worshipping God practically day and night while he was going from teacher to teacher and reading book after book. He was worshipping God, praying, please show me the way. And one night, just before the sun was to rise, as before, he had a dream. In that dream, a divine personality appeared and said, You will learn what is the goal of life and how to achieve it, and you will attain all perfections if you go to Nimai Pandit. He's on the banks of Padmavati River. He's just about to leave. Nimai Pandit is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Nara Narayan. He is the ultimate goal of life and he can teach you the way to him. but he's appearing in this world just like an ordinary person. Go to him. But do not tell anyone about this dream. The person disappeared. Tapanmishra immediately got up and he, he started crying. And then he went to the place where Nimai Pandit was just about to leave on the banks of the river. He was sitting there surrounded by his students who were all offering him their gratitude in so many ways. And the great Tapan Mishra, very honored scholar, he came before Nimai Pandit, who was just a teenager at the time, <laughs> And he offered his prostrated dandavat pranams. And then with folded hands, he spoke. He said, I am the lowest, most fallen person. I'm so materially encaged. 
He said, I have been reading so many books and so many teachers. I want to know what is the goal of life and how can I achieve it? He said, material happiness gives no peace or pleasure to my heart anymore. Please instruct me. And he started to cry. He was really inquiring with a sense of deep urgency and humility from his heart. Nimai smiled. And he told him that you are very fortunate because you are seeking the highest truth. To cross over this material existence is very, very difficult. To achieve devotion to Krishna is not easy. Only the most fortunate person can seek this blessing. He said, in the four yugas, there is a specific path by which we can attain the perfection. And Lord Chaitanya Nimai quoted different shastras. He quoted Bhagavad Gita. Paritra naya sadhunam vinashaya chuduskritam dharmasam stepanarataya sambhavami yuge yuge that the Supreme Lord tells that he comes again and again and again to reestablish true religious principles within this world. The Lord comes in a different color in each yuga to establish the yuga dharma. In Satya Yuga, he appeared in a white complexion and established meditation as the way to attain love for Krishna. In the Treta Yuga, he comes in a red complexion and taught by his example, yagya or sacrifice. In the Dwapar Yuga, he appears in a blackish complexion for the purpose of teaching worship of the lotus feet of the Supreme Lord. And in Kali Yuga, the Yuga Dharma, is the congregational chanting of the holy names of the Lord. He said, through meditation, through sacrifices, or through worship, one cannot achieve the ultimate perfection in Kali Yuga. It is only through the chanting of the holy names. Now you go home what he told Chaparmisha, go home, back to your house and family, and worship Krishna by chanting his holy names. And avoid all duplicity. Very important. These are the simple instructions he gave. Go home, keep love of Krishna as the goal of your life, chant his holy name, and avoid duplicity. That means to have a simple heart, not to have ulterior motives. A simple heart is a heart 
where the where the seed of bhakti grows very very nicely when we chant the holy name if we don't have a simplicity means a grateful humble heart that's not trying to deceive that really has the motivation to serve and to please that is a simple heart and among the associates of lord chaitanya or among the great saints of shrimad bhagavatam or through history whether one is living herding cows or whether one is the king of an empire or whether one is a swami in a, in a, in a cave in the, in the mountains whatever our situation greatness is having a simple heart To forgive is simplicity. Then Lord Chaitanya told him, the sadhya, the only true goal of life is ecstatic love for Krishna, devotional service. And the only way to achieve it in this age of Kali is through the chanting of Krishna's holy names. Lord Chaitanya cited the Brihad Naradiya Purana. Harinama, 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 Vakevalam, Kalona, Steva, Nasteva, Nasteva, Gatiranyata. In this age of Kali, there is no alternative, no alternative, no alternative than the chanting of the names of Hari. Then Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, for the first time in his Leela, he revealed something very special. He said, now I will teach you how to do this Harinam. Chant this mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, This 32-syllable, 16-word mantra, which is the very essence of all the hymns of the Vedas, the essence of all knowledge, the essence of all mantras. And by chanting this maha-mantra, the dormant love for Krishna within your heart will sprout and grow. And that will be your perfection. Simply by living without duplicity, keeping your mind on the goal of love of Krishna and chanting this mantra, he said, you will understand everything about sadhya and sadhana. Tapan Mishra was so grateful. He said, I want to go to Navadweep with you. Lord Chaitanya was letting so many other people come to Navadweep with him. He told Tapan Mishra, you should go to live in Varanasi immediately. This was 
quite incredible because there was no devotees in Varanasi. <laughs> People were blaspheming devotion in Varanasi. And at the same time, Navadweep is where Lord Chaitanya was just about to establish his Harinam Sankirtan movement and all the greatest devotees from everywhere were coming to Navadweep to live with him, to be with him. Now at this time, there was no hint that Lord Chaitanya would ever take sannyas. He hadn't even gone to Gaya yet to meet Ishwara Puri. He hadn't yet even begun the Sankirtan movement. He hadn't yet revealed to the world that he was a devotee yet. But Lord Chaitanya told Tapan Mishra, you go to Varanasi and I will come there and teach you everything. Tapan Mishra had faith. Then Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu embraced Tapan Mishra. And Tapan Mishra his hairs were standing on end, tears were coming from his eyes, he was trembling, he was actually in ecstasy. And then he grabbed Lord Chaitanya's lotus feet and he told Lord Chaitanya about the dream. Lord Chaitanya smiled. He said that was a, he said whatever is said in that dream is true. But do not tell anyone, as long as I am on this earth, do not tell anyone about this dream. Then Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left. Tapan Mishra went to Varanasi. They had a child. Their child's name was Raghunath. He became the great Raghunath Bhatta Goswami. Now I could, there's really an incredible story. I, I, actually, this is just the introduction to an incredible story. <laughs> but I'm going to end. But I'll just give you a little hint of what's to come. Tapan Mishra went to Varanasi. There was no association. There was only one person, Chandrasekhar. And the two of them were like, everyone else was very much opposed to the principles of bhakti. And meanwhile, he's hearing the news how Lord Chaitanya established Harinam Sankirtan movement and he's having kirtans at Srivas Thakur's house all night and he's planting mango seeds and the mangoes are growing and they have no seeds and they have no skins. <laughs> and devotees, after doing kirtan all day with Lord Chaitanya dancing, they would have mango festivals together and Lord Chaitanya would personally pick the mangoes and give it to each devotee. Can you imagine? He could have gone to Navadweep, but Lord Chaitanya wanted him in Varanasi, so he's, 
This was how dutiful he was. Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakura would say, do not try to see Krishna. Try to serve Krishna in a way that Krishna is pleased to see you. And what does it mean to serve? Serve doesn't mean I do what I want. It means I do what Krishna wants. Lord Chaitanya wanted him in Varanasi. <laughs> so he was there. And meanwhile, Lord Chaitanya is dancing to the house of Chankazi and doing so many incredible, wonderful things in Navadweep. The whole spiritual world it was an inundation of ecstatic love. And Harinam and Navadweep. But then Lord Chaitanya took sannyas. And he left Navadweep. And he went to Puri. And from Puri he traveled for two years through South India. And then he came back to Puri. So Tapan Mishra was patiently waiting, just chanting Hare Krishna, <laughs> meditating on the goal of life, with faith in Lord Chaitanya's words that he would come. He was waiting there for years and years and years. And then Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, on his way to Vrindavan, he stopped in Varanasi. He stayed at the house of Chandrasekhar, and he would take prasad with Tapan Mishra's home. But he only stayed for a very short time, then he went to Vrindavan. At that time, Tapan Mishra and Chandrasekhar were revealing their hearts to Lord Chaitanya. That when, you know, you're having kirtan here, the sannyasis, the mayavadi sannyasis, they are blaspheming and saying the most terrible things against you. They're calling you an illiterate fool. They're saying you're just a sentimentalist who's associating with fanatics. They're saying ignorant fools, they may be attracted to the Sri Krishna Chaitanya, but we are sannyasis, we are knowers of Vedanta, we cannot take his sentimentality and his neophyteness seriously. They were saying so many things. And Tapan Mishra and Chandrasekhar, they were hearing this constantly. Their hearts were breaking. Lord Chaitanya just smiled. And then he went to Vrindavan. <laughs> and then on his way back, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, how merciful. Namo Mahavaranya. Here's these very highly elevated sannyasis who are all from very elevated Brahmin families. And they're ridiculing and accusing Lord Chaitanya of so many terrible things. And what does Lord Chaitanya do? He stays at the house of Chandrasekhar, who was by caste designations a sutra. 
it's completely against the sannyas principles according to the Shankar school to stay in the house of a sudra. He could have stayed at Tapanmisha's house. He was a Brahmin, but he stayed at a sudra's house. Kayasta. Because Lord Chaitanya just didn't care. <laughs> because he saw Chandrasekhar as a great saint because he was a devotee of Krishna and he was taking shelter of the holy names. during that time that Sanatana Goswami appeared in Varanasi. And this is where Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu fulfilled his word to Tapanmishra. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu instructed Sanatana Goswami practically from sunrise to sunset every day for two months in all the details of the philosophy and the lifestyle of what is the goal of life and how to achieve it. Tapan Mishra was there. Lord Chaitanya instructed him in every way. And he had a little son and that son, during the two months when Lord Chaitanya was in Varanasi, instructing Sanatana Goswami, Tapan Mishra, hearing everything, at that time, little Raghunath used to massage Lord Chaitanya's feet and do services for him. And Lord Chaitanya blessed him. One day, Tapanmisha and Chandrasekhar told Lord Chaitanya that the kinds of blasphemy we're constantly hearing against you is too painful. We want to give up our lives. We can't hear it anymore. And you know what Lord Chaitanya did? He slightly smiled <laughs> and didn't say anything. And at that moment, a Brahmin came and bowed down to Lord Chaitanya and said, please fulfill my desire. He said, I've invited all the great sannyasis of Varanasi to my house for prasad, and I know you never associate with them, but it is my desire that you come to my house for prasad that day. And Lord Chaitanya said, I will come. And he came. When he entered, he saw there the leader of all the sannyasis, Prakashananda Saraswati, among so many other really powerful scholarly ascetics with their dundas. They were sitting on a raised platform. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu very humbly, he went to the place where everybody washes their feet, because that was the custom. He washed his feet, and then right by the foot wash, he sat down. When he sat down, the light of the Brahma Jyoti 
spread from his body. He was illuminated. And these impersonalistic sannyasis, their goal of life is Brahman. <laughs> so their hearts really got soft when they saw this, the Brahma Jyoti coming out of Lord Chaitanya's body. It was like the sun. And he looked so beautiful. And yet he was so humble. He was sitting in that lower place where everyone had just washed their feet. Prakashananda Saraswati, he said, why are you sitting in such a dirty place? Are you feeling some, some moroseness? Is there a problem? Why don't you sit with us? Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu replied, with such respect and sweetness, his voice was so sweet. He said that I am from a lower order of sannyas. I am not qualified to sit with all of you. His humility melted the hearts of all the sannyasis. Prakashananda Saraswati stood up and came down to where Lord Chaitanya was and took him by the hand and said, please come and sit with us. And they sat together. And then they challenged Lord Chaitanya. They said, you are beautiful like Lord Narayan and we're very happy that you are here, but why you never come? to be with us. The duty of a sannyasi is to study Vedanta. You are from Kesh, you are from um, Keshava Bharati, the Bharati Sampradaya, that is our line. Why are you mixing with ordinary fanatics just singing and dancing in the streets? This is not becoming of a sannyasi. You should be with us studying Vedanta. Why? Lord Chaitanya spoke very sweetly. He said, the reason is this. My guru called me a fool and chastised me. He told me, that you are a fool, you are not qualified to study Vedanta. You should just chant the names of Krishna. That is the essence of all the Vedic hymns. And he taught me to chant the names of Krishna. He told them, if I simply chant Hare Krishna, I will get freedom from all material sufferings and I will, I will see Krishna. And then he gave me a verse. Hadarnama, Hadarnama, Hadarnameva, Kevalam, Kalona, Steva, Nasteva, Nasteva, Gatiratyanha. Then in this age of Kali, there is no other way except chanting of the name of Krishna to a to, un to actually understand the real goal of life. 
So I took the words of my guru very seriously. And I started to chant Hare Krishna. I was always chanting Hare Krishna. And then something happened. I started crying and my limbs started trembling. I started dancing. I became a madman. I was thinking, what's happening to me? So I went back to my guru. And I asked him, what kind of mantra have you given me? It seems to be covering all my knowledge. I'm just dancing and I'm chanting and I'm crying. <clears throat> and my guru told me, that is the nature of the chanting of Krishna's holy names. One develops love for Krishna. Artha, Dhamma, Kama, Moksha. Economic development, religiosity, um, <clears throat> sense gratification, and liberation are the goals that practically everyone is trying to achieve through their religious practices. But all these goals, including liberation itself, are insignificant like a tiny drop in comparison to the, to the limitless ocean of bhakti, prema, pure devotional service and love for Krishna. So I'm very happy with you, my child. This is very good. You have attained the supreme goal of life by chanting Krishna's holy names. I am pleased with you, and I'm obliged with you. So you should continue this chanting in the association of devotees and preach the glories of Harinam and deliver the people in general. Lord Chaitanya told that I firmly believe in what my guru has told me. And therefore, when I'm with these people chanting and dancing, I'm not doing anything deliberately. It's automatic. It's natural. It's, it's my love. The Mayavadis heard this. They were very impressed, actually. They said, this is very good. <laughs> we're, we're, it's very good that you love God and that you're a devotee of Krishna. We have no objection to that. But still, why do you avoid us? You never talk to us. You never come to see us. And you don't come to study Vedanta with you, with, me, with us. And Lord Chaitanya, very humble. He asked permission. He said, if you don't mind, I will say something about Vedanta. <laughs> they were so charmed by his humility and his graciousness and his respectfulness. They said, you are so, you're like Lord Narayan to us. <laughs> they said, you're so, you're so gracious. We have faith that whatever you speak will be reasonable. And then Lord Chaitanya spoke. He said that Vedanta is the word of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And his own literary incarnation, Vyasadeva, has compiled. Because Vyasadeva 
is the absolute truth. He's the Lord. Whatever he writes is perfect. Any mortal person, we have four of defects. We have imperfect senses, tendency to cheat. We make mistakes and we are invariably illusioned. But the absolute truth is behind these imperfections. So whatever is spoken is perfect and pure. So the Upanishads, the Vedic literatures, when they speak about Brahman, Parabrahman, they are to be understood directly. But in your system of philosophy, you are taking Vedanta and for every sutra, you are giving indirect explanations. And therefore, you are covering the true essence of what Vedanta is speaking. The Vedanta and all the great Vedic literatures are ultimately speaking about the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who possesses all opulences, whose form, his personality, whose pastimes, whose names, are eternal and spiritual. But you are saying, in your philosophy, Shankaracharya has written, that the Lord's person, the Lord's form, his pastimes and his abode, are transformations of sattva-guna, the mode of goodness. Therefore, ultimately, they're temporary and they're maya. Nowhere in Vedanta, nowhere in the Vedic literatures does it say that. This is an indirect speculative interpretation. The Lord's form is such an ananda, eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. And to serve him and to love him is the ultimate perfection of life. The jiva is the Lord's energy. The Lord has inconceivable various energies. And those energies, by the power of the Lord, he transforms those energies. But because you deny the nature of the energies of the Lord, you consider if the energies are transformed, that means the absolute truth sense is transformed. And since the absolute truth cannot be transformed, therefore, the, ultimately, the Lord has no energies. Bhagavad Gita, Aparayami Tashvanyam. He explains that be, beyond these the material, external energies of earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego, there is my spiritual energy. Jiva Bhuta Mahabha, 
which is the living entities, the jivas. Krishna declares the jiva to be his energies. Bhagavan is the energetic, and all living beings are the energies. Bhagavan is like the fire, and the living entities, the jivas, are like the sparks. The absolute truth, Bhagavan, is perfect, complete. But his energies can be transformed. And then he described there's the spiritual energy, there's the marginal jiva energy, and there's the material energy. These are always existing. And therefore the jiva has, through its independent will, the vulnerability to come under the control of illusion. But Krishna can never come under control of illusion. And therefore the jiva can never become Krishna. The jiva is eternally the servant of Krishna. Use the example of a touchstone. How a touchstone can touch an object and transform it from iron to gold. But the touchstone itself is never transformed. So similarly, Krishna, who's the cause of all causes, through his energies, by his will, there's many transformations. But he always remains Ishwara, the absolute truth. Satchitananda. Sri Chaitanya explained this, and then he explained how in the Vedic literatures, the Mahavakya is Omkara, which is the sound representative, representative of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So you are teaching that Tatvam Asi is the um, Mahavakya which means you are of the same spiritual identity. I am that. He said that is just a detail in the Vedas. And he explained the essence of the science of what Omkar truly is. It's the representative of the absolute truth. The Vaishnava perspective, three letters, Aum. A is Krishna, Ahu, you is Radharani, and M is the Jiva. And Om, the whole existence, the Jiva is the energies of the Lord. Everything is contained within this one syllable. All the Vedas are born of this one syllable. And you are trying to avoid that. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explained every sutra in such a special way with a direct meaning. Srila Prabhupada made it really simple. Recently I was in a place where I was speaking on a platform with a Shankaracharya. And it's incredible because he was constantly quoting Gita and he was constantly quoting Saravadharman Paritya Mami Kam and Lord Chaitanya is talking about how in the Mayavadi concept, 
There's indirect interpretations. But to understand Vedanta properly, we have to understand it directly as it is. So Krishna's saying, Sarva Dharman Purushyasya Mame Kam and it's being quoted again and again and again and again. Krishna's saying, surrender to me. Aham Sarvasya Prabhavo, everything's coming from me. So the direct interpretation is when Krishna says me, he means Krishna. <laughs> when Krishna says Aham Sarvasya, I am, I means Krishna. That's very direct. Just like if Gopinath Chandra Prabhu, he's sitting there, he says, if he says, please give me some water. So direct interpretation is, I should give Gopinath Chandra some water. But word jugglery is, well, well, what he really means is the unborn, unmanifest, impersonal existence (laughs) within him. And since that one unborn, unmanifest, impersonal within him is everywhere... (laughs) So therefore, I'll give some water to um, Sri Dhamma. <laughs> or I'll drink it myself. That's even better. Since I'm non-different than him, I'll just drink it myself. <laughs> so very simple. Prabhupada, when he was reading... If Bhagavad Gita from one scholar at 26nd Avenue. Krishna says, Man mana bhavamad bhakto. And Krishna says, Worship me, become my devotee. Offer your homage unto me. This way you will come to me without fear. And this commentary was saying, When Krishna says me, he means the unborn, invisible, impersonal, all-pervading existence within himself. But why nowhere in Bhagavad Gita does Krishna say that? Nowhere in any scripture. When Krishna says me, when Ram says me, why don't they even once say, I'm talking about the impersonal, all-pervading, inconceivable nature within me, which which means you. Me means me. <laughs> so Lord Chaitanya is explaining this. It's so simple. Just understand it directly. When it talks about God's form and it talks about God's personality and it talks about his eternality, why do you have to talk about all these to try to cloud the truth? The simple understanding. Krishna tells in Gita, Janma karma chame divyam evam yogiti tattvata tyaktva deyam punara janma naiti mameti sojourn. It's very direct. Divya means divine. It means beyond birth, beyond death, beyond maya. My appearance, my activities, are transcendental. They're not a transformation of the mode of goodness in Maya that's just temporarily manifesting. If we understand how Krishna's activities, his forms, his names are divine, Omkar is not just the Maha Mantra. These are not just 
temporary words. They are divine sound vibrations. And by understanding them, we never take birth again. Krishna says, you attain my abode. My abode. We can interpret that in so many ways. After Lord Chaitanya explained this, the sannyasis, they were quite um, deeply moved. They said, can you tell us what is the direct understanding of Vedanta Sutra? And I don't have time to say too much more. But Lord Chaitanya basically explained that the Vedas, and he proved us on the basis of the Vedic literatures, the Vedas are primarily speaking three principles. Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojana. Sambandha is how to actually establish our relationship with the Supreme. The Lord is Brahman. There's the all-pervading impersonal Brahman and there's also Parabrahman. You see, the bhakti tradition is so inclusive. Vadanti tattva vidas tattvam yajkanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti samjite. The impersonal, all-pervading Brahman is Krishna. Bhagavan is, also, is the ultimate source of Brahman, Krishna, Parabrahman, and the Paramatma. They are all eternally existing simultaneously. So a devotee doesn't say that the impersonal Brahman is Maya. You understand? That's a realization of Krishna. And Brahmavad philosophy is to understand Krishna as the all-pervading Brahman. But the problem with Mayavad, they consider Bhagavan to be Maya, illusion. The form of God, the personality of God, the Leela of God, the abode of God is all just a transformation of material energy, and temporary, and ultimately Maya. One time somebody was saying, why do devotees say so harsh things against impersonalists? I said, we accept impersonal Brahman, which is the goal of impersonalists. We accept it's Krishna. But when impersonalists say that Krishna's body and Krishna's form and Krishna's pastimes are maya, that's an insult to Krishna. We don't preach against Brahman, but they preach against Krishna, so we must defend. We can't just let people say that. So it's actually, they're, they're the ones who are attacking. We're just defending the truth. <laughs> Sambandha is to understand how to, re, un, what is our relationship? I am eternally the spirit soul, not this body, not this ego. And I'm part of Krishna. 
When Jivara Swarupoy Krishna Ranityadas, my constitutional eternal nature is a servant of Krishna. And Abhideya is our sadhana. Abhideya is the actual activities of devotional service that awaken our eternal nature. And prayojana is that goal, the satya, ecstatic love for Krishna. And Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explained to them, and by practicing the nine processes of devotional service, especially chanting Krishna's names in this, in this age of Kali, that is the primary sadhana for realizing the prayojana or love for Krishna. And all the sannyasis hearing Lord Chaitanya's explanation, they say, everything you said is true. And they all started to chant Krishna's holy name. They were all transformed, Lord Chaitanya. And they begged Lord Chaitanya forgiveness for all the terrible things they were saying against him. And he forgave them and smiled and gave them ecstatic love for Krishna. They were very happy. And sometime later, when Sanatana Goswami came through Varanasi, he saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people with their arms raised, ecstatically crying, chanting Krishna's holy Tapan Mishra and Chandrasekhar were very happy. <laughs> Their goals were very much to see all these people become devotees of the Lord and develop the highest appreciation and love for Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And now the whole place was vibrating with Harinam and love for Krishna. They were so happy. And he would send his son Raghunath to come to Puri to serve Lord Chaitanya. He would stay there for some months. And Raghunath Bhatta Goswami was expert at cooking. He would cook for, for prasad. And he was expert at singing the verses of Srimad Bhagavatam in various different ragas. Lord Chaitanya would be so pleased to hear him sing the Srimad Bhagavatam with such devotion and such artistic um, beauty. And after being in Puri for some time, Lord Chaitanya told Raghunath Bhatta, you should go back to your mother and father because they're great Vaishnavas, Tap and Mishra, and you should stay with them and serve them as long as they're living. So he went back to Varanasi and served his parents. And his parents, when it was time for them to go back to Godhead, they blessed Raghunath Bhatta. Now you go back to Lord Chaitanya. 
and they chanted Krishna's names and went back home, back to Godhead. Then Raghunath Bhattu went to be with Lord Chaitanya and personally served him again in Puri. And after some months, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu told him, go to Vrindavan, bring these gifts to offer to Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, and live with them, be friends with them for the rest of your life. And Raghunath Bhatta Goswami went back to Vrindavan. And there he would cook for the six Goswami. He would cook for the Goswamis of Vrindavan. He became a priest, assisting Rupa Goswami at Radha Govinda Temple. He became such a powerful devotee, such a preacher. The general for the, for the emperor of India became his disciple. Rajman Singh. He wanted to do some seva. So Raghunath Bhatta Goswami saw that Rupa Goswami's Govinda Dev was just living in a little place. He said, build a beautiful temple. Under the direction of Raghunath Bhatta Goswami, the Govindaji temple was built. The greatest temple in the whole of North India. And Raghunath Bhatta Goswami gave Govindaji a special flute an earring shaped like sharks. And he worshipped. He was the servant of the servant of the Goswamis. Goswami himself, great scholar, great Vaishnav, great preacher, powerful disciples. But yet he loved to cook for his brothers and discuss Srimad Bhagavatam with them. And especially Krishnot Kirtanagarna Nartana. The Goswamis would love to chant the holy names and dance together. The goal of life is to love Krishna. The way of attaining that goal is chanting Krishna's names without duplicity, with a simple heart, in the mood of a servant of the servant of the servant. When we please Krishna through this process and we study these wonderful literatures that Srila Prabhupada has given us, we could actually understand, realize. This is the gift of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Thank you very much.